so much more than just rote programming. When you're not there, you really, really miss it. And so we're going to walk through that, and I'm pretty excited about walking through some of that together. Um, the second thing we're going to do, sort of the second half of the discipleship time every week, is, is going to be full-on discipleship. Not the learning of information, but actually discipleship. Leading and lifting each other up so that we're people that are ridiculously committed to Jesus and to making disciples. And so we're going to do our very best at it. Because, because here's, here's the reality. God gave us a purpose in life and it was to make disciples. And so if as a church we're not doing that, we're not fulfilling our purpose. And we may as well go ahead and close down. And because we're not quite ready to close down yet, we're going to, we're going to do our very best to do that thing. And so if you, have, if you can make it, um, man, I would love for you to make it on those Thursdays. And look, we're going to navigate through it. And if it's no good, say, this is no good. What's happening? And then we're going to get better at it. But we're going to begin to do our very best to make disciples of one another. And if that time doesn't work for you, if you can't make it and that time doesn't work, I, I invite you to take a card in the back and write what time does work for you. And maybe we can begin to work towards finding something that works at a time that works for you. And I'll say this, if you say no time works for me, and look, I'm in that time in life, I'm working a lot, two kids, I feel like I, I just, I got time to breathe. That's about what, I'm, what I've got right now. And if you're in that time where it's super challenging, I get it. But if we don't have time to become disciples and committed followers of Jesus, then we're missing our entire purpose in life and we need to make some time. Coming from someone who's not very good at making time, I get the challenge. So, so let's begin to walk towards doing that. Thursday, 6.30 in my house. Okay, here we go. Are you guys reading along? Did anybody read Romans chapter 1 this week? You don't have to raise your hand because then everybody else is going to feel bad for not having read it. But if you're reading along, if you're following in Romans chapter 1, um, for one, I think you'll see that if you just read, it is so much stuff. Romans chapter 1 alone is, is just, I mean, it's like to read all of that in one little setting, you no way you can take it all in. It's like drinking from a barrel. I mean, it is so much stuff. I mean, I would even say, like, break it up and read a section a day. And that's the only way I think you're going to even be able to begin to process it. But today is pretty hard stuff. And this is really hard stuff. And you're going to see in, in, in the second half of chapter 1, which I'm going to cover, I'm going to leave so much on the table. And I'm going to leave so much that doesn't get preached here because it's impossible to preach verses 18 to 32 in 25 to 30 minutes. And, and you may say, watch me, Adam. I can do it. You do too much. And you're always, you know, you, you say too much about it. I bet it can be done. But I'm telling you that it can't be done. It's super challenging. Because here's the reality. There are some things in this passage that, that we don't always see eye to eye on. That people that love Jesus don't always see eye to eye on. And there's some stuff in here that, that, that is tough. And you imagine part of this, you imagine somebody, you're, maybe it's a, a child of yours and they're sitting in front of you. And, and I'm just going to be real candid and I'm just going to say the things today. But, but imagine your child sitting in front of you and, and, they're, and they're gay. And you're constantly sharing with your son how much you love them no matter what, or your child. And then, and then you have to preach this text. And I have so many students and so many friends that are, that are right there. And, and we record, and it's going to go out there, and they can listen to it. And they're standing right there, and I'm always telling them how much I love them. And then they're going to sit right in front of you. And i got to preach a passage, that, and, and they're going to get to say, now let's see how you really feel. If they know that's what's coming, they're going to get to say, now let's see how you really feel about me. Because for all the things you say, let's see what you really think. 
And you're going to say, if you read the passage this week, you know it's pretty, it's pretty wide open. And we're going to be faithful to walk through it. But man, that is not easy. That sounds awful to me. And I've been churning. I even thought about not even, I thought about saying, well, we can't get to it all. <laughs> and just skipping that part because, man, it's hard. For the other part of the passage, imagine you're, you've got a friend here and they just, and they just lost their mom. And we're going to read some stuff that says people are without excuse. People that don't believe the gospel are without excuse. And, and, and maybe and you have someone here and their mom is, is, is a great mom and you knew them growing up. And they're the kind that, man, when they bake cookies, they make some extra and they give them to all the neighborhood kids. I mean, just the sweetest people. And, 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 and recently, you know, if, if, if that, that woman passed and, and, and we know that she was so sweet, but she wasn't a part of the church and she was pretty open about, about not having followed Jesus. And if I have somebody sitting here, what they hear for all the things things that I say is you just said that if someone doesn't believe the gospel, no matter how good they are, then they die and they spend eternity in hell. And so you're telling me that that's where mom is. And I got to preach that today because it's in there. And so when I'm telling you, I'm going to leave a lot on the table. It's because that's the thing, you know, I mean, that's a whole lot of stuff. And if you know me, I work so hard to not say mean things. I mean, I'm just not confrontational, even to a, a bad degree. And then I've got to come and, and we've got to preach this and we have to speak truth. And the text is here and we have to say what it says. And unless we're going to spend the night here, and I don't know that I want to, we're going to leave some stuff out there. So, so here we go. We're going to walk through it. Um, all right, here we go. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. So, so the first thing I'm going to do is really let the text speak to you so that you know I'm not making anything up, okay? You can read this in, in the Greek, in the, not in Hebrew, sorry. You can read this in the Greek. You can, you can read it in every translation, and I think this is a pretty good one, and it's going to give you a good idea. What I'm saying is I didn't pick a translation that says what I wanted to say. I think it's pretty clear. Romans 1, 18 through 32. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. We're going to dig into that part later. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and their and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, verse 24, Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires and the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is praised forever. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their, for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. I love that line. Do you, do you like that, by the way? They're, they're God-haters. They're arrogant. They're boastful. 
they don't obey their parents. <laughs> Doesn't that seem like a like that one's a little less? I don't know. But anyway, verse 31. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. That's a lot, huh? Am I right that when we read all that, it was hard for you to keep up because they did just so much stuff? And when I told you that that 18 through 32 is a lot, and and you should probably just chunk it out, you know, if you're going to read a little bit every day. Because even as I read it, and I've read it six times this week, I mean, it's like, gosh, I just, I feel like I should stop and explain every verse. I mean, there's so much stuff in there. But do this with me, okay? Journey deep into the jungle with me in your mind. Let's go deep in the jungle. It's the first thing we're going to talk about. But, but imagine there's this group of, of natives, and they have no contact with the outside world. I mean, they've just chosen to totally isolate themselves. And for as long as they've been there in their culture, there's a creator and there are spirits. But the idea of the Christian God never heard. Jesus never heard. Never heard of any of that. Living out here, totally separate from everybody else, never heard of those people. And so the question that the first half of this passage brings is how on earth can, can a peaceful person living in the jungle in the middle of nowhere who's never heard of Jesus be penalized by God for not be penalized by God in death for not believing in the death and resurrection of a man they've never heard of? How on earth can they be penalized for they've never even heard of it? So let's talk about that. I'm going to read verse 18 through 20 for you again, just so we can begin to get some context, because this is the kind of thing it's talking about. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 19 is the thing that kind of speaks to this idea. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. So it says they know about God. How do they know about God? Verse 20 tells us how they know says, for since the creation of the world, since the beginning, God's invisible qualities, which are His eternal power and His divine nature, the things that make Him God, they have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Here's what God through the Bible says. Here's what He says. He says, there's no excuse for people that die apart from believing in Jesus, because, or that die apart from, from a relationship with God, because we've all heard and we've all seen. Well, how can that be? How can those people have heard of Jesus and seen Jesus, and how can they believe in Him? And he says, because the existence of God has been made plain to them. How has it been made plain to them? He says, if by no other means people know God through creation, through all the things that have been created, people begin to get the idea that God is out there. Before we begin, to, before we dive into that a little deeper, let me tell you a little bit. Let me pause this sermon to give you a little PBS program on, on, on the world, okay? Because it's, it's, it's pretty neat stuff. Uh, I have a slide up here. Um, so here's some things that are pretty interesting. Here's the makeup of our atmosphere. You ready for this? This is some cool things about our world. If you want to talk about seeing God in creation, this is some pretty cool stuff. Um, so, so this is what our atmosphere is made of. It's 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, 0.5% argon, 0.03% carbon dioxide. Now, I don't know if you, if you remember, and I don't know anything about science. I'm not very good at it, but I do remember that these things can kill you, right? But yet, that's what our, our atmosphere is made out of. And if some of them were even slightly off, so here's some numbers. If the level of oxygen dropped by 6%, 6% we'd all suffocate. If it rose by 4%, we'd be in a giant fireball and we'd all die. 
How about that? Just, just a little bit of tweaking of the oxygen, just a little bit more of the pie, and, and then we all die. How about this one? If the CO2 were a little bit higher or a little bit lower, I'm told that if the CO2 were lower by 0.01%, so 0.01%, if it were that much lower, the earth would become an oven. We'd have no, we'd have no atmosphere at all, and we'd all die. Pretty interesting, huh? How about this? Um, I'm done with that thing, but uh, the distance of the earth from the sun. If we were 2% closer to the sun, the, the, the earth would be too hot for water to exist, and we would. Yeah, we'd all die. That's right. And then, here's a pretty interesting, uh, when the tilt of the earth, it's 23 and a half degrees. That's the perfect angle for temperatures and tides and all that kind of thing. And, and so if the earth were not tilted at that exact degree, all those things would go out of whack and we would, we'd die. Now, some of the fish would make it because they could live in that environment. But people, us, you and me, we'd all die. I mean, that's pretty crazy, huh? I mean, it's just so perfectly done. Some prominent atheists, okay, so not some seminary grads, not me, don't know anything about, about you know, any, anything scientific other than what I can read. Uh, they say that the complexity and the fine-tuned nature of it all, of the universe, suggests that someone must have done it. But since we can't, since that's not possible, since that didn't happen, since no one did make it, we've got to keep going to our next best explanation. And that would be that there was a big bang and that's how it all started. And that's how it all started. And then they say, now we still can't tell where the two things that banged together came from, but we're going to get there. All that we know is that no one started it. And they're working hard to say that no one started it. But there are holes that they can't fill. Because the world is, is created in this incredibly unique way. But even if you live out in the jungle and you don't know any of that, and the, the more you dig, I think the more you see that creation screams creator and there must be a God out there. But even if you don't know any of that and, and, and you can't see all of that, you can still see the complexity and the wonder in the birth of a child. And you can still see the constant rising and the setting of the sun. And here's what God says. He says that those things that you can see are sufficient for you to conclude, no matter where you are or who you are, that there must be some God. They're sufficient for you to conclude there must be some God. And here's a monumental truth about that realization. The truth is no one ever, 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 and I mean ever, ever, desired to know the God of the universe and died without getting the chance. No one ever desired to know the God of the universe and just no one made it to them to tell them about it. Because take yourself back to the jungle. Imagine you're that Indian in the jungle and you're native, whatever. You're, you're in the jungle there and, 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 and you begin to see these things and you begin to say, unlike many people before you, you actually begin to say, God, I, someone created this and I want to know who it is. And you just have this thought in your mind. And the next thing you know, some things are flying overhead and, and magic is coming from the sky. And that magic is actually missionaries dropping things down into your community. And you don't know what it is. And that's never happened before. But somebody's dropping some things down in their photographs and their, and their stories of, of the gospel message. And then pretty soon, some missionaries come to you. And maybe you, you kill them. But then some more come after that. And, and the missionaries don't have any idea why God called them to this particular place, but they prayed and they prayed and they felt confident that God was leading them here, but they didn't know why. 
But it's because someone there said, there's a God out there and I want to know him. And God saw fit to get someone there to tell them about it. And it's not a random story, I tell you. It's a story that happens all the time. All around the world. As God puts these people in the hearts of people like you and me and we go, going, what am I doing going here? And God knows exactly where he's sending us and exactly why. Luke 15 tells us in a little bit of a different context that Jesus doesn't neglect even one. There's not one that he won't go after. So he doesn't neglect even one. And when there is one that though they've not heard of Jesus uh, begins to get the chance to hear the gospel, now that's someone who sees, they see the wonder of God's creation, they desire to know him, and the gospel reaches them. And it does every single time. And so that's why scripture says people are without excuse. We all get the opportunity to hear the gospel and to respond to it if we want to. So if that wasn't enough, I could be done now. I could be done, but I'm going to keep going. Um, If that wasn't enough, Paul jumps right from from like deep to deep. I mean, we just totally skip the the shallow and jump right out in the deep water. and and, And he jumps right from that. And then he jumps to this. And he says, should you choose not to follow him? Should you be one of those people that hears the gospel and chooses not to follow him? And instead you want to pursue sin. And it says, this is God's first move. God's first move when you decide that you're going to be the, one of the ones that doesn't follow him is to simply let you have what you want. That's pretty good, right? I think if, 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 if my daughter, if she said every time she wants to not follow me, I just give her what she wants, at first she would think that's pretty great. That's what God does for us. He says, you want to serve idols? Then I'll let them protect you. You want to let money be your God? I'll let it rule over you. You want to, you want to be in an unhealthy relationship? I'll let you feel its consequences. And, and so he lets us have what we want. And it's never what we really end up wanting. But he lets us have it. And then Paul takes a deep dive into one of those sins that, that people want and, and, and God lets them have. And the one that he chooses is the practice of homosexuality. So read that passage. He says in verse 26, Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. And this passage can't be a whole lot clearer. What I want to do, I want to dispel one common misinterpretation, and then I want to talk about it. I want to talk about how we talk about it. More so than just just the way that, that over time, maybe we've sort of gotten this conversation a little bit wrong. But here's one thing I want to say, because there's one interpretation of this verse that a lot of modern secular scholars will say. And they'll read this, and and because it seems pretty clear, you know, if you're going to believe that you can have it both ways, right, that you can can live, uh, that you can act out homosexuality, and you can live it out, and you can still be a vibrant follower of Jesus, and you haven't sinned, then you have to deal with this passage. And so what they'll say is, well... If you look at the passage, it's not the homosexual act, it's the unnatural or unshameful act. They'll say it's the nat- unnatural or the shameful act. It's the shameful thing that you do. And, and so Paul didn't have in view the, the committed same-sex relationships that we have today, and so he didn't know that he could speak to those. He was talking about, you know, temple prostitution, and he was talking about, you know, a slave pro- prostitution and that kind of thing. And so that's really what he's talking about. 
Um, and so they try to go to context to say Paul didn't know about the things that we were going to have later, and so he couldn't speak to those. But the only problem with that is, it was just basically that it's not true. Um, if enduring, committed, uh, long-lasting same-sex relationships were definitely a thing in the Roman world. If you dig a little bit, there, there are first-century writers that make a distinction between, uh, between homosexual acts like the ones that they're talking about and then, and then a homosexual practice rooted in a deep, committed relationship. And they say that one is ugly, the unshameful one, and the other one is, is good. And so we know that, that, that people were talking about it then. It's not that Paul didn't know about these types of relationships. They had them at that time in this world. Uh, some in one of Plato's works, if you remember him, not Plato, Plato, um, he mentions two adult men who were lovers for more than ten years. I mean, there's and Paul is is a, is a smart guy. He's scholarly. He's learned a lot. He's been to a lot of school, and he would have certainly known these things. And so the idea that Paul didn't have any idea about about modern day or the kind of relationships we're talking about would just be totally wrong because most obviously he did. All we got to do is look back at the context. And so the text is really plain in saying that this is wrong. So some modern scholars try to use the context to deconstruct the argument. But when you dig deep into the context, you realize that the deeper you dig, the more you realize that the passage means just what it sounds like it means. That the homosexual act itself is the shameful and the sinful thing. The act itself, not some, not some certain way, not some, in some certain context, but the act itself is the shameful and sinful thing. And as that becomes clear, and I think it does, as it becomes clear, then it becomes necessary to talk about what we do with that truth. So that's the second thing. As, as you dive into this part, I want to say this was when we get to the point where we can say, okay, I think that the Bible's pretty clear. Now what do I do with it? I think it's this. Historically, we in the church, I think, haven't done a great job talking about it. And so I'll just fire through a couple things that I think have been particular sticking points that have isolated a lot of people. And they're this. Number one, um, homosexual acts are no worse to sin than any other sin. No worse than any other. Any of you greedy? Any of you lie? Any of you commit selfish acts? You are most equally a sinner as everyone else. This, this idea is... Leviticus 18.22, there's this passage in there and it's been misinterpreted. And not just misinterpreted, people just kind of made it say what they wanted it to say. And that's sort of where they got this idea, but that's, that's most, certainly, most certainly doesn't mean that, that this sin is worse than all the other ones. And that's been kind of put out there in some homophobia that that, that was the case, but it's absolutely not the case. The second thing is, is this, and this is a sticking point for a lot of people, but same-sex attraction is not sinful. And that's why people that I know that I care about a lot uh, will say, you can be gay and you can love the Lord and you can be a Jesus follower. Because thinking about stealing is not sinful. That's what's called temptation. The act of stealing something, that's sinful. And the acting on it is, is, is the sinful part. And same-sex attraction is, is no more sin than any other kind of temptation. I also, a lot of people sort of struggle with this, but I don't think it's a false statement. I don't think it's a false statement to say, I was born this way. 
And a lot of people say, and that's a real sticking point. You know, oh, I, I was born this way. It's how I am. And then, and then it's, well, how can you help, you know, something that you were born with? But I think there's a reality that some of us were born more likely to become alcoholics. Some of us were, were born with prone to anger outbursts. We've been born with a sin nature. The Bible tells us that we have a sin nature, and we were born with it, and all of us have our own weakness. And some people's weakness is same-sex attraction. That's the thing that is the, the greater struggle. I think we're all born with sin. We're all born with things that we struggle with. So when someone says, I was born this way, and then we, we fight it, Christians all the time fight this unnecessary battle to say, no, you weren't. You chose it. And, and, and I'll tell you, I've met a lot of believers, and I know some personally in my life, people that love the Lord that, that struggle with same-sex attraction. And let me tell you what, they pray way more than, than you do probably. Because and, and they have an unanswered prayer that they live with forever because they're praying constantly that their struggle goes away. How often do you pray that your struggles go away? How often do you pray that you would, just, that you would not want to be more angry? That the angry would go away? Man, they're praying all the time that this, that this temptation would go away. The last thing I'll say is this. Homosexuality doesn't send you to hell. And how do I know that? Because heterosexuality doesn't send you to heaven. And the two, just, it just doesn't work like that. Sin, apart from salvation, is what condemns us to hell. It's why we deserve it. We have a sin nature and we sin, and that is the only thing. And all sinful acts, when we, when we act on our sinful desires, those things separate us from the Father. And that's what makes the difference. So if I can sum up all that, and whew, all right. So if I can sum up all that stuff, everything we said today, just give you some sort of action, something to do with it, even as you process all of it, some sort of action. I think it's most simply this, and this is going to seem, I don't know if this is going to seem close to you or not, but it is just this. I think the action is to live out your faith and share the gospel because people need it. Live out your faith and share the gospel because people need it. Because every day, every single day, no matter whether we're talking about the the first part of this passage or the second part, every day people decide to choose themselves over Jesus. Every day people decide to choose themselves over Jesus. And a lifetime spent apart from Jesus always equals an eternity spent apart from Jesus. And people need to hear the gospel and they need you to love them. And they need you to be loving towards them. And they need you to fight, not fight battles that aren't important. And they need you to share the gospel with them. They need you to share the good news that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray.